it behooves me as an young elder to talk on the levels I've been, I've been taught at, which is extremely rare. I don't know anyone else in my own life who's been taught by elders the way that I have. And most of it has been unsought. It just would occur. So Jill knows all too well. Years ago, uh, she and, and our friend Joanne Searle, who's at a family reunion with 100 people today, and very upset that she has to go there and not be here. I said to them, well, you know, we could take you to see Twyla Nitch, who's still alive, and whom I don't know, but I've known of forever. Why don't we just drive over, and I'll introduce you to her, and maybe she would teach the two of you a little bit. And so we drove over, and then we had a deep meeting with her, and then she adopted me. But I didn't go except to take Jill and Joanne. And we haven't seen each other 25 in 25 years. Wow. And then when we thought, well, there's this transmission that is not moving into humanity on the levels that a being like me lives on. What I do, humanity would sort of move in and many spiritual and political leaders are wonderful, but they are much more afraid of God than they should be. And so what's called the great peace kept partially happening, but not. And my body can only withstand so much, not just me, any of us, any human being. So humanity started watching itself, canceling itself, and falling into a debris. And Twyla and several other great elders not just ask of me, but authorized, demanded it of me in my relationship with them that when such things would come to pass, I would insist on the great peace. So we really completed a piece of the mature work of my own request from heaven last summer. And Anne was there, a number of people were there. It was a gloriously beautiful weekend in Vermont that Jan arranged and our colleague Amy at her farm. And so without Jan and Amy and other people, and especially two or three strong colleagues of mine, including Anne, who's here today, we would not have accomplished that work. But I came back from it and then to just watch humanity keep arguing. Well, I'm, we're smart enough to fight. And so it was a bit perplexing to me. And I was aware, well, you must do this next piece. And I mean, I do understand it. And so it's not that difficult, but it is the most difficult thing in the world, right? Because one becomes just the vessel of heaven. And then people think, well, that doesn't mean anything. But of course, it means everything. So what we're doing today, um, my own health is, is, will be fine. I, I probably will only live a few more years, which is normal for the women in my mother's family, many of them. But um, I'm just fragile, so with people who were talking to me and I said, I can't talk long because I've got to do this. It'll be, I'll be able to see you during the break and all, but um, it'll be a serious talk, but it's what's called a transmission in Buddhism. So it was authorized by Twyla to me that this would be done. And she had me do it at the Alamo, at her request, on the Day of Wounded Knee 20 years ago. And then what I'm doing today is another dimension of the very same transmission I gave. If you ever watched a kid and they insist on fighting and the parent or the teacher or the sibling has to go another way because the child won't pay attention, and then finally the child gets it, so what I did is I addressed this transmission privately for about the last 10 months until I could experience that the critical mass was adequate, that humanity would answer heaven, and that the younger generation would be all right. And so what I'll do today is talk about this trans transmission. It's kind of a formal, almost a Native American teaching although I'm not Native American by birth. So what I'll do is we'll, I'll talk for a while, and uh, I may go to a couple of my notes. Um, many of the traditional Native names are not really 
the way I've been trained, so I won't use very many Seneca or Iroquois words. The words are different in all the different tribes anyway of the, of the Confederacy, the Haudenosaunee uh, Confederacy. So um, I'll talk for a time and then we'll have a break. And um, Leah's brought a few snacks and things people can have something to drink. And then we'll come back and have questions and a meditation. And then tomorrow we'll do a very simple ceremony where uh, out, probably outside, I think that would be more beautiful, but we'll see. And during that ceremony, we also will do a blessing for Adam. And then you might say, with, with, with his father's blessing for the blessing, who's Moses in Egypt. And then you might say, where is there on the earth that isn't Adam's home? Where did the blessing happen? I go, everywhere, always. And then people go, why? Well, I get that. And they don't have anyone to fight with. Because they're not interested in fighting into the future. They were just interested in fighting with everybody through the past. Well, we always fight. I go, no, we don't. You understand that? So it was accomplished through, through the generations. Right, it's kind of extraordinary. So, and we're doing it here in the area that is of the Iroquois Confederacy, which is the area that I was born and raised in. So it means a great deal. And Leah's the one who found the center. We were talking about where to do it, and Brian sent me a text one day. Leah's found this wonderful place, Cobblestone Springs, and they were just so kind and lovely about our coming and excited. And so, so I can't thank you enough for journeying. All of you really, it's some distance and challenge and expense and all of that. So it's a very special day to me. I mean, always when I teach it, it's always kind of unexpected and glorious. But um, I was thinking these last few days, my parents raised me in such a way that this is possible, what we're doing. And uh, I'm staying in the little home that they built when they were pregnant with me. So that's where I'm sleeping tonight. Yeah. So uh, we're going to begin with um, music, and we'll play it at the beginning and just before the break, just after the break. And as we conclude, uh, Joanne Shenandoah, who was a member of the Wolf Clan of the Oneida tribe, died uh, in the last few years uh, very tragically of an infection. She acquired an infection in the hospital which moved into her liver, which was then not able to be resolved. And she was taken to the Mayo Clinic in Arizona. They couldn't save her. And she <clears throat> is probably the greatest storyteller publicly of the Confederacy in the last half century. And she was my age, and uh, she's no longer alive. And Jamie Sams, who was a very wonderful writer and who adopted Grandma Luchwala, Twyla didn't adopt her, Jamie adopted Twyla. And she looked up to Twyla and became a much more virtuous woman because Twyla was ferocious with her. And she's left a great legacy of the Native American cards and many books. She also died in the last few years. They were both in their early 60s. And I note them because they're Native by birth. And their bodies couldn't withstand the argument in the human race right now. I don't find that either of them died the way they might have in a kinder time. So I just speak of them because I realize, oh, my sisters from these clans who've gone on, I must speak on their behalf. Right. So it's a very special day today and tomorrow. And so we'll, we'll begin with uh, pieces of, of Joanne Shenandoah's music. And it's from her, her, a CD she made, which you can purchase or, or buy streaming or listen to on YouTube. And she wrote the fundamental story of the peacemaker's journey. It's a little different in each tribe, but there are principles that maybe 19 tribes agree upon. And then they don't tend to pass them out to people outside of the tribe. If you ask about them, they'll sort of vaguely tell you a little bit, and then a lot they won't talk about, right, to protect it. So um, she took pieces that are 
held by all of the different groups together that were meant for the whole human race, and then she, she put them to song. So we're, gonna, we're just going to play four of these. Some of you have heard a few of them before. And so please be comfortable if you need to go out to get something to drink or you know, go to the bathroom. And um, if you feel the presence of beings you're not accustomed to, I mean, you're all very deeply spiritual and used to all kinds of ancestors or angelic beings or gurus or saints or sages, but you will have experiences, I would say, of certain great souls from the heavens helping you in the next few months which you might introduce yourself to, whomever you are. If you're benevolent from the heavens, I welcome you to myself and my family. And um, through a lot of these great ancestors, humanity will find its way. And I will say, I do not believe that humanity was going to find its way, except for some of these people, including Twyla. And what, what can one say to them or about them, except to follow the direction home, which has been set by the great souls of our history. Okay, so with that, let's begin. We should have a glorious day today. Will you take one for Renee also?
So when Twyla would have someone come to meet her, when, when Twyla would come, have someone come to meet her, she would have them bring a stone from where they resided or where they were born or the place of spiritual import to them. And when I called to ask her if I could bring <clears throat> two women to meet her, she was very stern about the kind of stone she wanted them to bring. And she said, and you, I don't want you to bring a stone. You just bring yourself. And I thought, why doesn't she want me to bring a stone? And so I looked at some stones, and I brought one anyway, but she didn't want it. <laughs> she had already, she was like, I told you. So here we are years later, and you all have stones. And I, <clears throat> so she told me once walking out behind her home out in the Brant Reservation, which is southwest of Buffalo, New York, that a stone would not lie to her. The person could not tell her what they wanted life to be like or what they didn't want someone to think of them. They couldn't trick her, and her wishes for them or her projections about them or her reactions against them also couldn't betray anything from the stone, because the stone would tell her whether she wanted to know it or not. And so she said, I'm from the stone people. And she said what that meant to her was that she could find her path through the firmament of the earth and the other planets and heavenly bodies. So she loved water, she loved air, she loved fire. Uh, part of her tribal history is of what's called the fire keeper, which is how evil was brought back in so there wouldn't be a focus on duality. And I'll talk about that a little bit later. But this concept was that all the elements were present around her, but that she would turn and be true to the direction of the rock, the granite in the mountain, the stone edifice. So when she would visit a place, she would go and turn to a stone and touch it, or look upon it if it was a side of a mountain or a cliff. And she would find the innocence of her own uh, sweetness, the childlike capacity of her, beside that presence of the rock. It made her fiercely true and unafraid of love and extremely virtuous. She was humorous in her temperament and she had made peace with everything in her history which was an encumbrance to her. I've rarely seen that in a person. She knew she came from several heritages, Scottish, Seneca, Oneida. So she said, even my Seneca and Oneida relatives bicker over me. I'm too white in the way I present the teaching. I'll never be native, native enough for them, but even if I were, I'm not good enough for the one side or the other, the way I am. And it caused her sorrow in her heart, but tolerance of her relatives and of the mixed experience within herself. So what she did with all the qualities which we tend to negate in ourselves and one another is she turned to the suffering of her own life to find tolerance taught to her through the rocks. So she had a capacity in her which never broke, but was able to be the way the field stones are here beneath us. So field stones were gathered from the Seneca Lake area to be the foundation blocks for this home. But the stones that form this home are from Lake Ontario and they were dragged here on huge carts. This is the southernmost cobblestone house in New York State, right? The rocks aren't from here, they're from the Great Lakes. So is the peacemaker, who is the Messiah for Twilight's people. He came, he was Huron, he came through the stories of the women from the Great Lakes, brought to and tolerated by the men 
of the far northeast, the Mohawk and Mohican tribe from the area where you reside. And back across, once they tolerated and didn't kill him, although they tried to, then he came back across and formed the Confederacy, the first members of whom were the Mohawk Mohican people of the far northeast. Right? The people in this region were known for being the most fierce fighters and warriors in the entire United States and Canada, known for the way they would treat prisoners, children. There's a certain amorality. You'd have a warrior, you'd, you'd lose a child through a disease and you'd, you'd think, I've, I miss my two-year-old so much. And the warriors would go out on a raiding party and they'd say, oh, there's a family, let's kill them all except bring that one two-year-old home for my sister. And I'd say, I don't like that one, so they'd kill it. And they'd go on another party and think, this is a good one for my sister. And so how do you change that mind when it becomes so thick that tens of thousands of people have lived it? And all the trees of all the forests of the eastern seaboard remember the stories of the human beings. Right? So humanity is at such a crossroads as that right now. If I were here saying, oh, you know, what baby shall you bring me to be an older cousin for this little one? I'd go, not a baby brought through harm. Well, then how shall we do that? Who shall teach us such a, such a lesson? And so this man who came through this region said in his last years, I will come again. There is a time coming when there will be a failing apparent in the great peace around the world. And when that time comes, I will be sent for by sacredly dedicated beings, and I will come back. And when I come back, I will restore the good mind, it's called, that breaks apart that kind of hatred and killing and fighting. So that's what we're going to speak about a little bit today. So the rocks that were brought here were, were brought down from Lake Ontario on uh, ox-drawn and, ho and horse-drawn carts and sleds. And, and then this home was built, and um, it's just such a beautiful place. So Leah and Brian found it for us, and uh, the staff here were remarkable in welcoming everyone. And so it doesn't surprise me it's able to be done in this building on this land. So when Duganawita came, he asked that after he left, his name not be passed on to anyone. So if you talk to a person from the Confederacy, they call him the peacemaker. If you try to go back to his name, they usually don't go back to it. They go back to the peacemaker. He wanted the transmission kept so that it couldn't fall into a corruption of this person causing peace, sort of. But this person not quite causing peace so much. So he claimed the name to Ganawita. I am the one who is to come and awaken the good mind and then bring that which is evil by including it back into the good mind so that it doesn't have a way to fall and gather power. If you look at the circumstances right now in Eastern Europe and Russia, it's remarkable because the more the argument goes on, power seems to be gained in the fighting. And then people think, what do I do? How do we not have that happen? So <clears throat> the person who is Tagonobita was born here in the United States about 14, 15 years ago. And I will talk to his parents in the next few weeks. He lives in Northern California. His name is Sam. He knows who he is. He had a rigorous childhood in terms of his body being very allergic to a lot of things and then stabilizing itself. As it became accustomed to coming into a modern era and addressing the arguments in the human race that are occurring right now. He will be close to certain souls. Uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle's older boy Archie is very close to him spiritually. Will they know each other? I don't know. 
Do they know that the other one is here? Yes. My friend is here. Oh, my friend is here. And then these two boys to, to become young men, same as a young men, start lining up in virtue as they go through a path beyond where their parents are, including their parents, but going beyond. Right? So what occurred here long ago, uh, the, the years are discussed. They often go back about 500 years. But in the oral tradition, it goes back to a solar eclipse, which would have been in 1142 AD. It's a long time ago. So the oral tradition says, when this eclipse happened, the peacemaker came. And the only solar eclipse of that nature was about 1142, 1147 AD. So two women lived over on the shores of one of the Great Lakes. They were of the Huron tribe. And the grandmother, the older woman, was aware that her daughter was wandering out in the evening. And she was afraid that her daughter was meeting a young man and didn't want her daughter to turn away or to conceive a child. So she followed her one evening and found that a fog settled over the daughter. There was no person there. And the daughter let her know, I've been coming out like this mother and just sitting by the lake or being out in nature in the evening and then coming home. The daughter was found to be with child. The grandmother tended the daughter through the delivery of the child, the raising of the child. And when he came to his mid-teens, he told them, it's time for me to go. And the story is told that he was of the stone people and walked away. The way the story is told here is he rode in a stone canoe, that the earth was so strong for him that somehow, miraculously, a stone canoe came to existence, he got into the canoe and came across into the far northeastern forest of New England. So the two women grieved and asked him to please not leave them, but he said, it is my time to go, and came across. <clears throat> the Mohawk or Mohican people saw this deeply humble man with a very serious speech impediment, so he was hard to understand, and he said, they asked, why have you come? And he said, I've come to bring the great peace. And they thought that this was the most foolish thing they'd ever heard. And said to one another, we'll get rid of him by, by this evening. We'll just throw him over the waterfall and then see what he thinks about peace. And one of them threw him over the waterfall and uh, up in the lower Adirondacks. And <clears throat> they came walking back the next morning and found him sitting dry by the fire, welcoming them. And they realized that he could not have survived the fall, nor could he be dry in his clothing or his hair. So they realized this being has been sent by the heavens. And they welcomed him, and they began to listen to him. So <clears throat> interestingly, the viewpoint he brought forward, which is not present in the world now, in any nation I know, is that there is a good mind. The good mind occurs when two people both are turned to the good mind, not to either one of their own minds. Right? We don't think this way. Even the most enlightened Buddhist teacher I know still thinks of himself or herself as, well, I'm partially enlightened. Not like, how are you, Steve? And how am I? How are we? So Daganawita came forward, and what he entrusted to the two men was the beginning of the great peace. We, you two and I, we have a good mind. Right? So we are gathering today so that that transmission is restored among us. Remembered? Honored, represented. Then who would argue against it? Humanity begins to experience what happened. So a thousand years ago, this happened. We forgot. We never integrated into the greater society that principle. 
Instead, we turn toward Steve's here and his wife is here and their daughter is here and I'm here and we go, we, we are here. Attenuated, attuned to, in the direction of receiving the good mind and then heaven is present, the great peace. And then we know in our incarnations what to do as we go forward. So if we turn to the trees, the trees could remember what humanity has done, or the plants, or the animals. The rock now would tend to remember the teachings of the peacemaker. So where we're sitting today is in the land of the Cayuga tribe. If we take the different tribes of the Iroquois Confederacy or the Haudenosaunee people, they are the Seneca to the western gate behind us, which is where my family's small cottage is. And, and the tribe I was adopted into is the Seneca tribe. They're called the keepers of the western gate or western doorway. Then there's the Cayuga tribe, we are in the Cayuga land right now. We're facing east here. Then becomes the Oneida tribe, which is a part of what Joanne Shenandoah is part of, Oneida and Seneca. And then Twyla herself, Oneida and Seneca. And then we come into the Onondaga tribe, and that's the area where the great tree of peace was planted. It's no longer there. If you ever hear the term bearing a hatchet, oh, let's bury the hatchet. It's based on the hatchets that were actually buried under the tree there long ago. And then we go across to the Mohawk or Mohican people. And then much later in the 1700s, the Tuscarora people who are from the Carolinas but have a, an Iroquois-based uh, linguistic group, they were brought into the Confederacy. So this quality of the rocks that each of you have come from the lake. Blaine and my brother Peter gathered them this morning. And so they come from the lake where, uh, when I was conceived and born, it was from that land. I was born in Corning, but my, as I said, my father built the cottage while my parents were pregnant with me. So they gathered that on the shores of that lake. I came in with my hair wet from taking a shower. It's the lake water that comes through the pipes. So across the lake and to the west of where I was today, <clears throat> a, a village existed called Ganondagon. It's south of the present-day Victor, New York. It was at one point the largest of the, of the Seneca villages. And um, it's where Jacuncese was buried. And she is the person who recognized the peacemaker. This is where our lives are important. A human being is born, and we ask the question, who are you? Why are you here? And one can be self-evident, but we don't start coming into the good mind until someone else meets us and we meet together to find that doorway to heaven where heaven answers us back. One of the strongest components of the modern society tends to be a competition for consciousness. People will meet and uh, particularly this is strong in the younger generation, they try to see who's going to socially win because they can't find safe terrain in consciousness. There's very little safe terrain in consciousness. So they're out there fighting over who has what and who's going where and who's done the coolest things faster and faster and faster. Right? This quick movement. <clears throat> and so the nature of heaven is a silence, but not a silence that's passive, a silence that is the instrument of that quality of the good mind of we. What are Steve and I doing? And then we receive that blessing, and then we know what to do. And then there's a movement from heaven through the stones and his wife and her husband, and me, and it is good. It's always good. And that would be our path. And then we say, what about Anne? I say, we welcome her in. And then what I go, and then what happens from heaven of the good mind through her? 
or Jan or Steve. Maybe the two women go for a hike. It becomes a movement in the Christian faith, it would be called grace. And then there is a knowing, a knowledge, oh, this way. And yet Steve could feel, this is the good mind. I am so fulfilled. The women were hiking. It is good. Right? That is always stronger, it's always stronger than any quality of argument. The challenge has been that people kept arguing anyway until they divided up the earth enough that it wouldn't exist anymore. And so the trees have been screaming, and the rocks are screaming, and the waters are screaming, and the atmosphere is screaming, and people have been in a turmoil of, well, I don't know what to do. And I go, yes, yes, we do. I don't know what to do. I go, yes, we do. And it's necessary that there be adequate leadership for that to occur. So I'm aware that that leadership is present all over the world in little seeds, but the class we're teaching today is setting the transmission forward that Ganawita gave long ago. Now that he's here becoming a man, just as he said he would, come to restore the peace. So you might say, I am speaking on his behalf today. Right? So what it means is the rocks will remember that. They remember him from before. The rocks of the entire earth will remember that. A little boy walking, a little girl swimming, will know then, oh, it's safe for me to walk upon this earth in the good mind. And when someone wants to argue with that girl or boy or that person, that argument is not stronger than the path of that girl or boy. It was before we set this course. It, this is all my experience. People, I can have colleagues who argue with me. I have others who will be very happy to hear what we're talking about today. Really, it's true. We're moving through it. I go, yes, and now we have to do this. I do know that after World War II, I was aware that we did not have to have a World War III. And I've said many times, I told my father, Daddy, there won't be a third world war. And he said, oh, honey, you're so naive. And I said, no, Daddy, that's why we were sent, my generation. Okay, so this generation was sent for one purpose. The children here now are sent to be the children of the great peace, a global civilization. Not perfect, but of the good mind. And the compassion in me is aware that humanity just couldn't find it. It didn't realize that this teaching existed. If we go back historically, this region that we're sitting in, all around Western New York State and Central New York State, was very involved in um, the Revolution, the American Revolution, the French and Indian War, and the Confederacy. So there are sites where there were horrific experiences. Uh, General Sullivan came during the, the uh, arguments between France, England, uh, the colonial settlers, the Native Americans, and he annihilated whole villages of people just south of us, about 40 miles in Elmira, New York. And uh, General Washington had some of his colleagues who were Native American, uh, their homes and fields destroyed just to show them that he was the one with the power. So he did it in the late autumn so that the crops would be unable to be sustaining factors for the winter. And several thousand Native Americans realized they had to leave the area or they would not survive. But they were his, they were his allies. They weren't his enemies that he annihilated. Why did he do that? John and I have talked about that. Why did he do that? Well, just to show them I'm the leader. So a lot of my prayers have been, I am so sorry. I was born in that area. How can I bring the condolence 
to your descendants who would have lived in that area where I have lived so that we restore the good mind. Okay, so we'll work with the condolence ceremony later this afternoon. So the history that we have throughout this entire region is a mixture of so many things. And for any human being, when you walk through a terrain, you have in you the capacity of awareness, but the memory of all the karmas that have occurred. Some people are so sensitive, they'll come through an area and think, I don't feel well, or I don't want to go in there, it's so unpleasant. And so a great deal of what I have worked with in, in sort of mystical consciousness is that any child anywhere in the world could go forward in, their, in every moment of their lives. This would be from Sam to Archie. They could go forward in any moment in their lives and find the virtue of their path. Will they have challenges from a school teacher or a parent or a neighbor? Yes. But they could find the good mind now so that they can be respectful of a grandmother or attentive in a schoolroom but not have to betray themselves and leave the pathway of that oneness. It's not necessary. And so it rendered me very sick earlier in the summer because mankind wanted to have a big fight, not with me, just with itself. And I found that the forest let me know, like, it has to be done now. This has to be done now. So I was aware, okay, if this is brought forward, is it strong enough that it allows the younger people to go forward and be safe? Part of your job as a protector for anyone who's an who's a older sibling or a, a spouse or a parent, a grandparent, an educator, um, a person working in healing arts is, is the person protected? And I've said a million times, Twyla would say over and over, when you teach anyone anything, tell them, begin everything with asking for protection. May I be protected. Not from something. May the good mind be protected. So that the quality of that between two people, in a marriage, in parents, as grandparents, be protected. And then if one thinks that there's going to be a terrible fall and the Cayuga tribe will fight against the Seneca tribe, one trains a child differently than to say, we can share this land. It's very different when you aspire toward peace, not foolishly, but wisely. So a great deal of what we're doing today is like being a grandmother and saying to the, the young children, it's all right for you to go and be in your deepest path now of the great peace. And then the state we're talking about will be moving as a fulfillment through children now. So a child in Russia or the Ukraine would tend to realize there's something moving in me beyond my father or mother harming a person from that other region they would be able to experience a quality in the rocks of the land of the Ukraine or Russia or other surrounding terrains, stirring and causing in the child the same minerals to stir, supporting the good mind in that child. Not just because I'm saying so, but because many souls all over the universe are working to call this forward now, because it's time. And then the earth is warming. Many things are happening with storms and weather. There's enough homework for the human race to have to do this, to function together. We, we don't need an argument. We have enough to care for. So in this quality of, of the history, along with the different arguments which happen with, with uh, George Washington or Sullivan coming in, there were also relationships which came forward which were benevolent. Benjamin Franklin and James Madison became great friends with Chief Shenandoah, who is the direct ancestor of Joanne Shenandoah. That is how she achieved her name. He's, I believe, her great-great-grandfather. 
So he held a position of representing the concepts of the peacemaker and the construct of the great goodness of the good mind. Right? There is this great goodness we call the good mind. And Benjamin Franklin was aware of the capacity of this and therefore principles were brought in that helped form the United States Constitution. That's how that occurred. The understanding between Joanne's ancestor and Benjamin Franklin, Joanne's ancestor, and James Madison. So in the formation of this nation that we call the United States, an unsigned figure, you know, when people signed the Declaration of Independence or signed different bylaws, Shenandoah's signature is that of the good mind underlying the Constitution. Why were women not mentioned? It was assumed in the Iroquois Confederacy that the women had a level of status and power of the capacity within a tribe to make a decision. So we go back to the peacemaker coming across from, from the Great Lakes. He came into the area, first up in the far northeast with the Mohican and Mohawk people, uh, up around the Adirondack area. I would say from parts of New York State and into Vermont and back across into New York State. And then he would have been known as far as Maine and New Hampshire. I've looked into this in the past. So he, he was known in those regions among the Abenaki people and other people, but his, his range physically would have come up into probably parts of around Lake Champlain, just east of Lake Champlain into Vermont, but mostly in the Adirondacks, and then back all across the central area. He came across the central area and over to Ganondagon, just west of Cuca Lake. And there was a woman there. And there are two sets of stories. This is where the good mind is interesting. Because you know how gossip is. Like, is this person good or bad? And um, you know, we, we could have the gossip mongers say, oh, this is a horrible person. And someone else can say, well, I want to know the goodness of that person. I'm standing with the goodness of that person. So <clears throat> Jakunsase is spoken of as a great woman leader or a terrible witch, a cannibal, a woman who could construe hatred among thousands of people just by turning against someone. So the stories are told two ways. The peacemaker came into the area, and she was ready to turn against him but didn't. But if she had, they would have killed him, and she would have eaten part of his heart. That's one way that it's told. Another way that it's told is Jakun Sase was a great woman leader. Hundreds of people turned to her for guidance as the main matriarch of that region. See, and if you're not an initiated member of any of the tribes, they're not going to tell you what they really think of Jakun Sase. They might say she's horrible just to keep you away from her. You can't go near that medicine woman's grave. She was awful. You don't want to come anywhere near us, right? Or, oh no, she was a really good person because we don't want to tell you what she was really like before her mind was affected by the peacemaker. So they're, not, they're not telling you. They're telling you, not telling you. And so each tribe has a different story. The Cayuga have a different story from the Onondaga. They have a different story from the Oneida. The languages will have different spelling of her name. This is part of where, if I try going into some of the things, I'll go, there's eight names for the great law of peace, right? So, or there are 14 names for this region. Or there are the people of the Great Hill and the people of the hills and the people of the Flint and the people of the Great Swamp. And, and then what they'll call themselves, which is not necessarily the same anymore as it was 50 years ago. So, so who was say? Well, she's buried at Ganondagon. Where did the Tibetans come when they wanted to do a ceremony for world peace 20 years ago? They came to Ganondagon. Why did they come there? They came there and decided they would build their main center for the world in Ithaca, New York. But the ceremonies they did to make the decision and declare all of it, they did at the place where the great peace was constructed, which is at Ganondagon, which is just a bare hilltop at that point, it had a little hand-hewn longhouse on it and a small shed 
now it's been adopted by New York State as a center to recognize the Confederacy and remember it and support it. So that's where she was. And the peacemaker came into the area. And whatever was caught in her, she realized that he recognized the place in her that was split. And he healed it by causing her to enter with him the good mind. We are here. No longer I, Jacunza say, or him, the so-called peacemaker, but we are here. And when people saw the change in her, they accepted him. So she is called the mother of the Confederacy. And it was when, so two women raised him, then a woman recognized him, and the Confederacy began. And then there's another piece in this. We, at this point, we just have women mothering him. Oh, you, my little boy, my baby, my little boy, my young man. Oh, you, great male leader. <clears throat> he came further east, away from her. And there was a horrible man. He's called the Tadadaho. There are several names from Ayatora, or the Tadadaho, or snakes in his hair. And he was a very difficult, very violent leader, a chief, who gloried in uh, sort of horrific attacks on people, <clears throat> sometimes just for the support of it. And no one knew how to handle the violence he was causing all around him. And he had come into an area in central New York here, uh, probably 60 miles east of us, and he had uh, wrought havoc on a village of a man named Hiawatha, and Longfellow's Hiawatha comes from, from the name of Hiawatha. Hiawatha was a, a quiet leader. He didn't want leadership. He wanted to be more hidden away. He was married. He had seven daughters. And in several different uh, attacks on his village, I think three separate attacks, all of his daughters and his wife were killed. The first time his heart was broken, the second time the heart was broken, the third time he was so desolated he thought, I will never recover. And he let himself fall into a despair and of kind of filth and uh, living a bit away from uh, his tribe, very much like Crazy Horse did when he went through similar mystical losses. And uh, the peacemaker came and met Hiawatha, who said it's no use. And he beseeched him, will you help me? The peacemaker needed someone to help him. He had a terrible speech impediment. Will you be my spokesperson? No, it's, it's hopeless. And the peacemaker finally said to him, I cannot do this without you. And something happened in Hiawatha where he realized we. And it became the good mind. We. Adequate for something between the two men then to go out. So what would we call that? It's not the opposite of a weapon. So yeah, the, the quote in Christianity would be, if two or more are gathered in my name, there so am I. There so is Jesus or the Christ force. So what occurred in the two men of this representation of unity or non-duality in action, in living action, so from that point, they started going out into the world. Hiawatha felt he was ready. And then Daganawita upset him deeply. The peacemaker upset him deeply. He said, we cannot bring the great peace to the villages until we face the man who's killed your family. And Hiawatha had a very difficult time with this. It was inconceivable to him. And the peacemaker didn't only turn Hiawatha toward the unity needed, he expressed to him, and this is a piece that I have never seen brought outside of the Iroquois Confederacy, and I, it's just part of what we're to do today. He was able to teach Hiawatha, or the, the word used in Buddhism or Eastern religions would be, he transmitted to him that the great peace could only occur when the evil one was brought into the good mind. So that the soul 
of the evil one and the power moving through them was restored to heaven, moving with the same power or energy that moves through your stones and the trees and the lakes and the sky and the seas and the whales. It has always been there. Humanity simply had not realized this yet. We were still fighting over the acquisition of the whales or the clean water or the forest. How much can we sell the old growth timber for? Not what are we to do here? We have the one good mind, trees and people together. So this quality which occurred from the peacemaker to Hiawatha and then willingly through the two men went out to meet the Tadadaho, caused the Tadadaho to come forward and bring his form of alignment as a soul to caretaking the fire, the fire keeper. Okay, if you've ever been with Plains tribes working with the sweat lodge, the fire keeper is very important. They're the one as the sentinel to the gate of the sweat lodge. They're the one, if the man or woman tending the sweat lodge is weak or affected by prayer or weather, the fire keeper is the healer, caretaking what goes in and out of that threshold. A stone, a blanket, holding up the medicine man coming out, who's carrying prayer for mankind, they seem to be nobody. I remember a young person being trained years ago who said to me, oh, they just want me to be out here taking care of the fire. And I said, oh, well, you know, you're the man. I mean, this is the job. They ask you to do this. Yeah. Then when I talked to them about what it was, and then they said, you're not going in the lodge? I said, no, I'm going to stay here with you and help you learn how to keep the fire. We have the good mind, right? Then he had the most remarkable time. He probably had a better time than anybody in the lodge. And he understood how much he enjoyed what he was taking care of. And then all of his life, that young man becomes an altar. Okay, so what we've done here is we gathered the rocks so that men today, together, gathered the stones from the Lake of Twyla's ancestors to be given to each of you. So she would say, bring a rock to me so I know who you are. Today, instead, we are sending a rock out with you from her lake. Wherever you live in the world, you can keep it, place it out in nature, put it on an altar by your bedside, keep it close, place it somewhere out in the realm around your garden, from your room to your home, wherever you live, or up in the mountains, or by a great tree. And then the transmission of what happened long ago through that one man and the women and the men went beyond good and evil into something of the good mind forming the confederacy but forming a concept of a great peace from a, a culture not so intellectually defined by that I simply mean not not intellectually less, I mean intellectually not thinking that everything has a mental answer. Right? Now everything is not 11th grade math class. One is not the most intelligent if one can simply do pure mathematics. One is intelligent, but we might say to the scientist, it's 10 degrees below zero, I think you need some winter shoes on. And then the pure mathematician might say, but I have a great equation for the next kind of engine we need, so we save the environment. I go, wonderful. We of the good mind have made sure you don't have frostbite and your grandchildren